Uh, and I invite Deb back up for the scripture reading today. Really working you today, Deb. By the way, if you like that song, you can find it on YouTube. You can listen to it all day long like we do. <laughs> you know other families, it's right, it's all day, it, just about every day. Maybe we're the only ones, but... Well, it's the first time I heard it, and I loved it. I loved your kids. Okay, our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice and all guile, insincerity, ever, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our self-image, how we view ourselves, our identity, is hugely important to us, is it not? If we know who we are, we can face just about anything in life. We know that we're strong. We know that we're loved. We know what we're capable of, so on and so forth. Who we are, knowing who we are, is hugely important. So if I were to ask you, Zach, you don't have to say it out loud. Who are you, Zach? Who are you? If I were to say, Brenda, who are you? What would, you, what would be the first things you, you say there? Maybe I'm a teacher. Maybe I'm a father. Maybe uh, I like the Vikings or something. I once knew a person who said, I, I bleed purple and gold. <laughs> That is a big-time Vikings fan, right? How would you answer that question? What, what makes you who you are? How do you view yourself? The challenge is, is that when we have identities based on things of this world, they change. And that time of change is very difficult for us. Sometimes it's forced change, and sometimes it's just natural change that we have to just endure. For... Uh, Twelve years of my life, a huge part of my identity was that I was going to be a meteorologist. Pretty exciting, right? Since the time I was 10 years old, I don't know where it came from, I just started telling my parents and my teachers, I'm going to be a meteorologist. I really want to do that. And of course, my parents, think it, maybe they were thinking, he's going to make the big bucks. <laughs> Who knows what they were thinking, right? They said, of course you could do that. And my teachers, they said, yes, go for that. I mean, what teacher wouldn't encourage a child to, to aim for their goals? And especially at that time, I was pretty good in school. So for 12 years of my life, every time I would talk to people about what I was going to do when I was done with school was, I'm going to be a meteorologist. And I would think about it all the time. When I would watch the weather, when I would go outside, and I loved the thunderstorms, all that stuff. And I brought this here to you to show you today. Proof. I'm not making it up. <laughs> okay. I'll let the people online see it as well. This is 
something I made for my fifth grade teacher when I was 11 years old, and it's all sorts of creative genius that I don't have anymore. <laughs> all sorts of it. And it says, there's mountains and a river, and it says, to Mrs. Mosetti, my best teacher, which is absolutely true. She is awesome. And I would see her every year. I'd go back and talk to her and tell her what was going on, and I could tell that she just loved seeing me. And then it says, from meteorologist Chad Setter. <laughs> In my mind, it was going to happen. It was for sure going to happen. And the thing is, this was just one of several that I gave her. I would give her many, uh, many little pictures like this every single week, and every one I would sign, meteorologist Chad Setter. <laughs> so at my high school graduation, uh, she framed this for me and gave it back to me as I was about to embark on this journey of becoming a meteorologist. Isn't that incredible? What a great teacher. I saw her, I went back, continued to go back and see her until I was like 28. So, I mean, she really made a huge impact in my life. So there I go, all excited for this journey of becoming a meteorologist. It's embedded in my bones of who I am, my purpose, my direction, my sense of worth, because I'm going to make my parents proud and my teachers and everybody who knows me, they're going to see me become this cool person that's maybe going to be on TV. But then as I embark on this journey, reality strikes. First of all, on the level of difficult classes that I was taking, I had no business being in math or chemistry <laughs> or physics. And, <laughs> and to deal with the failure that I was experiencing because I couldn't pass those classes, I turned to other things that actually made it worse. I avoided those classes. I drank alcohol to cope with the shame and, and many other things. And I started to make worse and worse choices until finally I was in this place of just pure shame and regret. And now instead of feeling like I'm this person who's going to make my parents proud and my teacher proud and my friends proud to know me. I went to being someone who was thinking of myself as a loser, as an utter failure in life. I was 50 pounds heavier than I am today, maybe actually even 60 pounds heavier. I didn't have even one, per well, one person that I considered a true friend that I'm friends with still to this day. And I think the only reason that we were friends throughout that time is because we partied together. <laughs> this time in my life was incredibly disorienting. Twelve years of saying, this is my identity. This is who I'm going to be. And then just like that, it shattered. I had no plan B. And instead of feeling like I'm going to make everybody proud, I'm in this dark, dark place of shame and guilt and fear. And the most difficult part of being in a place of feeling disoriented when your identity, your self-image is challenged is it's hard to know where to go. It's hard to know what to do next and it's really hard to relate to other people. Who are you? Well, I'm a student. Well, what are you studying? I don't, I don't know. Well, how was your class? Well, <laughs> well let's talk about you for a little while, should we? <laughs> The hardest challenge about self-image is that when it changes, 
either forced or just a normal part of life, is that it's incredibly disorienting. Now maybe you would say, well, that's fine, Pastor Chad, but I did, I did well in school. I've lived a successful life, so good for you. But you know, our identity changes throughout our, our lives. We become grandparents. We become parents, and even those things take years to uh, embed within our uh, sense of self, of who we are. We change jobs. We lose jobs. We lose people tragically in our lives. And if we don't have a sense of identity that's rooted in something beyond the here and the now, it's very difficult to step into uncertainty, to step into mystery, and to treat others with compassion while we're doing so, having confidence in who we are and courage to embark on something new. Very difficult if we don't know who we are. So Peter writes this letter uh, to a a group of Christians in a a whole area of Asia Minor, and it was meant to kind of circulate as a letter to encourage Christians who were facing hardship and harassment, uh, persecution even, for being Christians. So their main purpose was living in community with one another and sharing this good news that they themselves had heard and received, that Jesus had come, Jesus was God in flesh, came to the world to love the world first, and that in response of who Jesus is and what Jesus does, we get to live uh, in sharing that message and say that God has come, and guess what? He loves you. He loves you, and if you turn your heart to Him, you receive forgiveness, and you can be in relationship with God Himself. Isn't that an amazing truth? But they were experiencing persecution for that. And so you can imagine that uh, as they're embarking in this new journey, facing difficulty, you would think they would wonder, is this really worth it? Maybe we should do something else. This is hard. This isn't exactly what I signed up for. And I like to be liked. I like, to be, I like things to be in a way that I can understand them and maybe even control them a little bit. And sharing the gospel in those days was anything but. So Peter writes this letter to these Christians to remind them of who they are beyond anything that they can understand in the here and now. He says, you are precious in God's sight. Precious. Loved by God first. That's who you are. Chosen and precious, though rejected by the world. Has anybody ever felt rejected by the world? It feels like that's all we experience today is saying, I'm not good enough. I'm too old. I'm too fat. I'm too stupid. Whatever it is that you might think when you say, I'm too whatever, that you're rejected by the world. I'm not good enough. I experienced plenty of that. And I tell you, I didn't need anybody to reject me because I'm my own worst critic. I say those things to myself regularly, (laughs) especially during those days. So Peter says, though you were rejected by the world, though the world would say you're limited, God says you are precious. That's who you are. Deeply loved by God. Jesus says, in the same way that the Father has loved me, that is how I loved you. That's who you are first. How do we understand this concept of, but yeah, but doesn't God want us to come to church? Doesn't God want us to believe the right things? Doesn't God want us to be good people? Of course. Think of it like this. I'm reading a book by author um, Brennan Manning called Abba's Child. It's all about understanding our identity as people loved by Jesus. 
<laughs> okay. I like it, Gavin. That's cool. So author uh, Brennan Manning, he uses this example. Whether or not you've had a child, think of a mother who has just given birth to her child, and maybe the father who's there as well, or any other family that's gathered, and they hold the baby up for everyone to see. Brennan says, there is no mother on earth who has ever said, this is my beautiful daughter. She's going to be a lawyer. <laughs> this is my beautiful son. He's just going to be perfect. He's going to never make any mistakes. He's just always going to do exactly what I tell him. <laughs> He's never going to disappoint me. He's never going to do the wrong thing. That's how God sees you. Perfectly loved. Now, now, and forever. God loves you the same today as yesterday, no matter if you were highly successful this week or not. No matter if you've had perfect church attendance all summer long or not. <laughs> no matter if you're excited for the Wednesday night program or not. <laughs> God loves you the same. Exactly the same as a mother holding a newborn baby. Now the challenge for us is that we're human. We uh, interact with one another and we have ups and downs and we get annoyed of each other and we are disappointed by the actions of other people. And so sometimes we don't necessarily communicate to the people in our lives that we love them without fail. That's really hard for us. If anybody's done that and can say 100%, please raise your hand and you can talk. <laughs> It's hard for all of us, and especially to be uh, kind and loving to ourselves. But it's the most important identity that we can have as the people of God. Because unless we can understand that God loves us no matter what, that God uh, loved us before we could ever think of loving Him, it's really hard then to have compassion for people who are different from us. To say, it's okay if you're different. It's okay if you're not doing what I would like you to do because I know that I'm loved no matter how this turns out. I know that I'm precious in God's eyes no matter how difficult my life has been, no matter how uncertain the future is, no matter how mysterious things are right now or scary, that there is nothing that can change my view of being loved or God's view of me being precious to him. Nothing. And you see, if you can operate from this place of being deeply loved by God, now you can step into the future. Well, I'm not sure what this is going to look like, but I know that God is with me and that no matter what happens, God loves me. And I can have confidence in this truth. I can endure people's ideas or opinions of me. I can endure uh, scary situations with courage because I know that God loves me and will never abandon me. Friends, this is an eternal self-image. One that we develop here over a lifetime that we carry into our next life. However, that looks like uh, whenever that begins for us. This is our self-image. So how does Peter instruct these Christians to, to work all this out? He says, come to Him. 
You've received this good news once. Come to Him again. Rejected by the world, yet precious and chosen in God's eyes. Come to Him. Now sometimes in our Christian faith, we think that uh, coming to Jesus is like a one and done done moment. Like an altar call. Or you go to a Billy Graham crusade and you, you just go up there and okay, now I've given my heart to Jesus and I can just do whatever I want. But actually... This word and many others in the New Testament that describe coming to Jesus is like a a continual, repetitive posture of approaching. That's another word that we used actually in the call to worship. Approaching Jesus. A similar word in the Greek language, the original language is follow Jesus. That's what he used. And Peter, who wrote this, decided to follow Jesus. And Jesus gave him a new name. A brand new name. He said, you used to be called Simon. Now you'll be called Peter, which means rock. Pretty awesome. Right? It ties into the, the Lectio Divina text that Deb read. That when we establish our self-image on God's love for us, we can do just about anything. But because we live in a fallen world that's full of, of things that frustrate us, or things that make us sad, or our own limitations as I've been so open with you in describing, we need that self-image to be refreshed and renewed regularly. We need to have reminders from uh, Scripture, from worship, from community with one another that remind us that we're loved no matter what. Because I don't know about you, Deb, but I have really hard weeks. And I need people that speak into my life and say, you know what, we still love you. No matter if you had an awesome sermon, No matter if you got an A on that test. No matter if you were a really great dad all week long. Whatever. Those are some of the things that creep in as what I think is my identity that's not really my identity. Those are just some of the roles that I have. And when we come to Jesus to be refreshed and renewed, well then we become better at all those other roles. Because we don't have to perform in those ways. I don't have to have a good sermon for you every week. I get to. I get to come and present to you afresh the the gospel, the word of God, so that hopefully you will understand that God loves you no matter what. That's what I get to do. But the most important thing that I can do week in and week out is to understand that God loves me besides all that stuff so that I can act with compassion so that I can lead you with courage, confidence about what God is doing in our midst. Without understanding that God loves me, no matter what, precious, like a baby, I don't know what I could do here. Because you might have a different opinion than you. And you might say, I'm a good preacher, and you might say, terrible preacher. It was the worst I ever heard. (laughs) And if I get caught up in all that stuff, even Gina might say one day, you're, you're a rotten husband, she might say. <laughs> and if I get caught up in all that stuff, what, where does that leave me? In this prison. And what do we do when we're in a prison? Well, sometimes we just curl up and hide. Sometimes we lash out in anger and in our, react to our fear. Sometimes, especially Christians, we tend to judge other people and say, well, if they could just fall in line. Well, that's a far cry from saying you're loved 
no matter what. You are made in the image of God. Because you have breath in your lungs, God loves you. Now, there's a whole other sermon about what we should be doing in response to the fact that God loves us no matter what. But what I hope you would see today is the importance of coming to Jesus. Not just one time in your life. Not just when you come to church on Sunday or maybe twice a week if you're going to come on Wednesdays as well. But that we would try to understand that what God wants for us is to continually turn our hearts to Jesus. Something good happens throughout our day. Thank you, Jesus. Something bad happens throughout our day. Help me, Jesus. Something really bad happens to us us throughout the day. Why, Jesus? (laughs) And it's okay to say that. And this continual posture of coming to Jesus will slowly, over time, build this identity within our hearts that cannot be shaken so that we can endure just about anything we have to endure especially in our uncertain world today. I mean, I'm running, I, can't, I can't talk about the stuff that's happening in the outside world because it would take up the entire time. And half of the group would be mad at me for something I said, and the other half would say, good job, pastor. <laughs> I mean, that's just the world we live in. So the most important thing that I can do, first of all for myself and try and lead you in as fellow Christians is to try to begin wrapping your head around this fact that God loves you no matter what. That God loves you in the same as a a newborn baby holds you up and says, this is Wendy. I just love Wendy. Yes, sometimes she's faithful, sometimes she's not. I'm just kidding, Wendy. You can take it, I know. (laughs) Yeah, I just, I love her no matter what. Of course. And any parent who's had a child, sure they're disappointed by some of the actions or behaviors. But at the end of the day, maybe you get a little space in between. (laughs) Say, I still love her the same. Still love her the same. So we as a church are committed to building our future upon the foundation of the past with the premise that as we come here to this church, we view one another is precious in God's sight, which includes, this might be the hardest part, including that you accept that you are precious in God's sight. And yes, we're going to have disagreements, but we come with that understanding that we are each precious in God's eyes. And everything that we do then becomes a means for helping you to discover your true identity in Christ so that you can live out of that place. So that you can act with compassion in your terrible workplace where you really don't like anyone. (laughs) So that you can uh, watch the news without just letting your blood boil and saying, where is this world going? (laughs) So that you can come to this place where you might be around people who act and look different from you. But you can say, I still love you. And I'm going to have to figure out how to be in relationship with you. So whether it's small group, Sunday worship, Wednesday night programming, uh, serving in mission, any of these different things that we can do as as a church community, it must be founded upon the premise that you are precious in God's eyes and so is everyone else who's here. And we're going to talk next week 
about what a game changer that perspective really is. Because as the beginning of what Deb read, uh, Peter says what not to be. (laughs) And each of those things really come out of a place of not receiving and accepting the fact that you are precious in God's eyes. Because if you receive that fact, it's pretty tough to treat others with malice or talk gossip about them behind their back or to say mean things about them because that just kind of says there's something within you that's lacking. There's something that you're not accepting about your belovedness in God's eyes. It takes a long time to build this kind of self-image. It took me 12 years. I had this identity for 12 years. And I spent 18 18 years sorting out the shame and the guilt, the regret, and the negative consequences to my soul. And recently, I've been discovering as I've been growing in this way of understanding God's love for me, recently I discovered, you know, maybe I was never meant to be a meteorologist. (laughs) Maybe the reason I wanted to be a meteorologist, now that I know that God loves me and that can manifest in any way, that God created me to have a sense of wonder about the world, a sense of excitement, along with, Chuck can appreciate this, and Brenda, a desire to teach, a desire to share, an excitement to share. And now, see, I can let go of the shame that I've experienced in my life. I can let go of the guilt of squandered opportunity, which are tremendous, (laughs) and I can embrace the future that lays before me and invite others into the same. Eighteen years it took. Let me tell you, the, the, the church that I was a part of had small group, had missions, Uh, had a Wednesday night program that, well, actually that was later, wasn't it, Gene? (laughs) Had okay worship. And I took steps of faith, and in each one I helped to learn about who I was and what God says about me. But if somebody would have told me the first time that I came to church, son, you need to come to Jesus, I think I would have (laughs) left and would have never come back See, the significance of all of this, friends, is that God loves us first. And it's because we're loved that we can continue to come to Jesus open and honest, willing to explore the darkness within so that He can shine the light that only He can shine in those dark places of our heart. God loves us first. And as a church, we must be committed to loving one another so that we can then have the courage to take steps forward, the courage to have compassion towards each other, and the confidence that we are, in fact, children of God. I'm praying for our church that we would be able to grab hold of this identity together. Because if we do, uh, our future is unlimited. And I'm not talking about church growth. I'm talking about what we can experience within this church. The grace of God. The peace of God. The joy of God. Right here. Every Sunday. Every Wednesday. And every day in between. As often as you're willing to come to Jesus. To turn your heart towards Him. That's my prayer for us. Amen.